Do y'all, do y'all have any idea what he said? He talked so slow. Oh, my goodness. So slow. I'm like, I have no idea what he's saying. That is so slow. I'm just joking. That's Christian. If you don't know Christian, well, you just saw him up on stage, and then he's up on the screen. He's everywhere. Um, so Christian leads worship for us every Saturday night, and then some on Sundays, and he also is our high school director. And so if you're a high school student, love for you to uh, get to know Christian, connect with him Wednesday nights. There's a, 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 a good little group that happens right after Cal. Uh, so uh, that's about 6.15. They get together. And he's a great guy. If you know him, you know that. He even has a tattoo, which makes him hip, I think. Um, I was joking about the, the slow talking, uh, but I do want to just kind of be um, up front with you guys today. Probably going to move at a little slower pace. Okay. Some of you are like, oh, you know. That, but that means you're probably not getting out of here until about 11.30. Um, that's also, that's a joke. But I am, there's, there's actually two reasons for that. Uh, one, to be honest with you, just real candid, I don't have a ton of energy. A ton of energy's been uh, kind of a long week and um, just tired, so you got that piece. But I don't want you to, uh, to filter this message through that. Uh, there's actually a second piece. Um, some really important material. I mean, uh, like really important material that I want you to hear today. And so if it takes, I mean, I want you to kind of saturate this whole thing, and it's really, really, really important you get this, and so I don't want to preach at you really hard, for sure, but what Jesus does here is absurdly important, and I'd hate, hate, hate uh, my mumbling or slurring of my words or speaking too fast to stand in the way of you getting that, so uh, it's really important that, that you get this today, Christian, non-Christian, I, c- I can't imagine something that'd be more important for what I believe God has for you uh, this year, okay, and Today, not just this year, but today for your families, for our church, for our community. And so just want you to uh, lean in on that with me. And don't usually always do this right, right, right at the beginning, but I do just want to pause for a second and just ask God to speak to us. So if you're a Christian, in this moment, I don't want you to spectate in my prayer time and just listen. I'd love for you to say to God, um, God, would you, would you make this time worthwhile? Like, would you peer into my heart Show me how you feel about me and show me how I can receive you and respond to you. Would you just ask him to do that? He will, he will. Now, if, if you're not a Christian, um, not, uh, not a believer, not even sure there's a deity out there, here, here's what I'd like for you to say. You don't have to, no pressure here, guys, but if, if you'd be open to it, I'd just like for you as I'm talking, just to say something like this. God, if you are real, if you're real, like if I'm here, I want to be here for the next however long, and if you're real, it'd really be nice to know that. And so, God, if you're real, would you just, would you just tell me that? Like, would you make yourself known? Like, what do you got to lose, right? And so I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to jump into some hard but really beautiful material. You ready? Um, oh, Jesus, you tell us in your word that this is the day you've made and that we should rejoice and be glad in it. You've also told us that um, uh, don't worry about tomorrow. Uh, why worry about tomorrow? I uh, can't control any of that, but... Today has enough worries of its own. So here we are sitting in this moment, uh, kind of vulnerable before you, and you see everything about us. And I love, love what Chris Tomlin says in the song, Indescribable. You see the depths of our hearts, and you love us the same. And so, God, would you allow us to breathe deeply in this moment? And God, would you just speak? Jesus, you're going to read from the book of Isaiah in this passage that we're going to talk about. And in that book, in Isaiah 55, you use that prophet to say that your word never returns void. Meaning every time it goes out, which is what's about to happen, Lord, it always yields exactly what you intended. So God, I just pray that the power of your presence in this place, the power of your word today, the power of your love and grace today would just penetrate our hearts and we would be different 
uh, for it. And God, um, for the folks in this room, particularly those who just were really, really brave to say, God, if you're real, would you speak? Um, God, yeah, you're on trial there. Don't feel too much pressure there because you've been on trial before and actually found guilty and put on a Roman cross for it. And in those moments, you're able to get the attention of the whole world and declare your love for us, ask for forgiveness of us, even declaring that we don't know what we are doing, and then actually paying the ultimate price for our sin and our brokenness by your death. And then you prove all the things that you said about us and about you and about the kingdom are true by coming back to life. So God, if all that can happen, if that's the kind of power that you have and that's the kind of love and grace you have, it would make sense that you can meet us right here in this room today with that same, same power and presence. So God, I'm just gonna ask that you have your way. Wholeheartedly, God, would you just have your way in our hearts uh, today. And Jesus, you tell us that salvation is a gift from you. And I know that you want some people to receive that today. And you tell us the only way that you can receive it is through faith. And faith also happens to be a gift from you. So God, would you give people a new faith today to see you and know you and be loved by you and received by you and find healing by, from you and favor from you. And we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so if you haven't been with us, or if you have, either way, let me just catch you up to speed. Um, this is uh, week six of a series called the Jesus Creed, and uh, by series, just means it takes us a few weeks to walk through something, and here's kind of the big premise, okay? All of us have creeds, all of us in our life, and here's what a creed is. It's just a kind of a, a, a set of beliefs that guide your life, right? So we have all sorts of creeds about why you go to sleep at the time you do and get up at the time you do, why you go to work, why you say nice things or don't say nice things, why you honk the horn in uh, the car line or why you don't, or why you, whatever those things are, why you got this morning and chose the clothes that you did, why you tuck your shirt in, right? Some of you do that, that's really nice. And some of us have another creed that we don't like to tuck in our shirt because we have that back fat right here we don't want you to see, whatever that is. You just got your creeds, right? And so there's a set of beliefs you have Wow, that hit home for a lot of us. You're my, you're my people. I just want you to know. Whoever laughed at that, we're friends, okay? Um, so there's just these creeds, these part of our lives that just go, we have these beliefs that therefore determine how we act, right? And so the premise of the last, this week, week six, we got two more to go, is how's that creed working for you? How's that creed working for your marriage? How's that creed working for your family? How's that creed working for your anxiety? How's that creed working for uh, your sleep? How's that creed working for you? And I think if we were to pause long enough, we'd go, well, some days it's not bad, but it's not all that we want it to be, right? You don't have to be a Christian to agree with that. Just, it just seems like there's something looming out there that's better than uh, what's current. But we don't want to, we've gotten smarter, right? So we don't want to chase that carrot too long because we've just kind of convinced ourselves that nothing around the corner is going to make us any more satisfied than where we are. So some of us haven't gotten there yet. We're still searching. Others of us are kind of in this spot we're going, I guess this is it. I guess this is it. I guess this is how I'm going to live. I guess this is what my marriage is going to look like. I guess this is how our family is going to be. I guess this is my job. I guess this is, this is it, right? And what's really confusing about that is we have this desire for a fulfillment we haven't received, and a lot of us either keep trying to do it and end up defeated, or we end up in a spot where we just settle. And then we don't even like ourselves or the people around us who just settled. And so we get all this confusion going on. And then the God of the universe steps down on this planet. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're going, that's weird. But for those of us who walk in that faith system, Jesus, the God of the universe, steps down to model a good life and to show us how much he loves us. And then he makes some really interesting claims. One, he says the thief is the one who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, that's both in just the, the evil and the brokenness of our world and the, the way that plays out in people's lives. And he's also pointing to the evil one, Satan, who really would love for you to settle 
and not enjoy life. And so Jesus says, hey, the thief has come to kind of create that circumstance by which you operate in this creed that just doesn't really ever let you fully live a life. And Jesus goes, but I, but I, this is a bold statement, have come to give you. So there is I, Jesus going, that's me, and I've come to give you, meaning he is the bestower of this, but I, Jesus, I have come to give you life. And then he clarifies that. And depending on the language you look at or the, 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 um, the different translations, and that it says life to the full or an abundant life. So he is saying there's something out there. So for the last five weeks, he's going, if that's true, wouldn't it be nice to tap into that? And then he says later, um, he actually tells us that the way that we find that, he goes, no, no, it's not through a set of beliefs, not through a set of checklists. He says, I am that way both to God, to God's kingdom. By the way, that's not about heaven. That's not about you praying a prayer and getting to heaven someday. That's about God coming and setting up residence with you now. So this isn't, we're not talking ethereal about if you do this a thousand years from now, life will be better for you. I'm talking about if you do this, life is better today, okay? So there's a bold statement that this is a lot bigger story. I'm the way, I'm the truth, meaning it's not some relative term. Truth isn't your, what you feel. You don't get your own truth. He goes, I know I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, no one gets that. No one gets to God and all those things, but through me. So we've been kind of working through, well, how do we access that? For one, if you're a Christian, it would make sense that our life would reflect that. And shame on us and shame on me because my life doesn't always reflect that full life. And so what if that is the most desirable part about Christianity for those outside these walls or out that don't see this? And they see a full life regardless of circumstances, right? So there is this motivation and go, both for you, want that for you, both for our world and for our world. I'd love for the world and to see that in us, right? And so how do we tap into that new creed, right? And he's going, that's me. And so what we've kind of been working through, uh, this idea that's who Jesus is. And then we just kind of said, okay, if a creed is a set of beliefs that guide our life. So in other words, we have these beliefs. And in those beliefs, they determine our behaviors, Right? That's not anything new. You get that. The things that you believe determine why you do that. Remember, we just talked about why you don't tuck your shirt in, right? You have some beliefs, and therefore there's some behaviors, right? So we have all these things, and we're going, well, how do we change our beliefs then, right? How do we just get up one day and just go, I'm not going to believe that anymore, right? And you've tried that, I've tried that, and it just hasn't worked. And so what we realize is that there actually is a whole other set of things happening before we get here. And this isn't like this neat little discovery that psychologists found out. This is actually what you see in the scriptures that when John the Baptist and Jesus kind of show up, first John the Baptist declaring this, then Jesus, that there is this new way to live. He says something and he says, repent. And you go, oh, we don't like that word in church. And I would say, um, get uncomfortable and get comfortable with being uncomfortable today because that this whole message is about that, repentance. But for you to understand that, this is not me screaming at you with a bullhorn. This is not me trying to tell you to change your behavior in any way. Because that word repent literally means change the way you think, right? So when you change the way you think, your thoughts, what happens here is it eventually changes your beliefs and eventually changes your behaviors. So we can't just go, we need a set of new beliefs. We just white knuckle it and we have new beliefs. No, 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 no. The way by which that happens for us is literally we change the way we think. Now hear me when I say that. It doesn't necessarily always mean we change what we think about. And when I've said this, you go, okay, I gotta start thinking new thoughts. I gotta not think those old thoughts. thoughts." And that's a piece of it, right? Renewing your mind is part of that process. But what you're gonna see today, that even if it's hard for you to change your thoughts, you can at least, and what I hope happens for us today, you can at least change the way that you think about those thoughts, right? So what kind of the goal here today is, boy, what if we change the way we even think about the thoughts we have, right? Because there's a, 
there's a couple of different ways this happens uh, in psychology. Love it. Uh, you know, this isn't new. This is cognitive behavior therapy. This is actually what happens in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve look up one day and they have a thought. Oops, we're naked, right? I'm from the South. We're naked. That's N-E-K-K-I-D. Oh, no, we're naked, right? And as a result of being naked, what do they do? They have a belief. What's their belief? We feel shame. We don't like the way our bodies look. We feel vulnerable. We feel exposed. They have a thought. Oh, no, we're naked. They have a belief. Oh, gosh, I feel shame, right? And therefore, they have a new behavior. What's their behavior? They hide, right? So you see it in the very beginning of the garden. But even as psychologists work through it, one of the things actually kind of came up in uh, Philadelphia, of all places, this new way of talk therapy and working through it called cognitive behavior therapy, which goes, let's take an event in your life, whatever it is, current, your spouse, with your fight, with your parents, whatever it is, and let's uh, talk about the thoughts you have there. And let's take some space in those thoughts. And then let's like analyze the things that you believe and feel as a result of those thoughts. And then perhaps come up with a different way to get some new behaviors. Right? Really, really beautiful. And I would say that part is scriptural. But when we try to do all that on our own, these beliefs, this is where it gets really, really complicated. Because one of two things happens with those thoughts. One way we go, man, I'm a mess. I'm an addict. I can't stop looking at that. I can't stop doing that. I can't stop saying that. Whatever, whatever that thought is for you, right? And then you have to go, okay, how do I fix that? And guess what? You try over and over to fix it. I can fix this. I can do this. And then you can't fix it. So what do you do? Because you keep having these thoughts. And guess what? You can't stop having those thoughts. You know why you can't stop having those thoughts? Because they're true. They're true in your life. So you have these thoughts. And so you go, okay, I have these thoughts. This is my current circumstances. This is what I've done to myself. This is what someone else has done for me. And they are real thoughts. And then you go, well, maybe if I do this, maybe if I read this book or try this strategy or get up a little bit earlier or do all these things and we come up with all these new plans as a result of I can handle this, I can control it, and then we can fix it. And for all of us, all of us, uh, uh, all of us, right? We have these thoughts and then we have those beliefs that we can fix it. And then what ends up happening for us is we come to the conclusion that we can't fix it. Can't fix it. So then you have one of two things. You either go, I'm going to be miserable and devastated the rest of my life. Or another way that some counseling works, and I don't say all categories of this, is this, how about you just accept that's who you are? How about you just accept that's your identity? And then you just dig deep down inside you and go, this is my truth. This is my identity. Now I'm not talking about sexuality. I'm not talking about those things. Well, it fits in those categories. And so what happens in this is we, we, we have learned that we just have to accept ourselves the way that we are. Right? So we accept all the stuff about me. And then this is what we do. Then we find other people in our world that accept the same things about them. Because they're our friends. They're our peers. They have the same experience. And so what we do is we, have these, we come, finally come to some agreement about ourselves and go, yeah, that, that's never going to change. This is just who I am. This is how I was made. This is how I've got to follow my heart. And then we search for the people around us that have the exact same problems, the exact same experiences. And then we invite them into it. And we just start to accept each other as we are. And in one way, it feels glorious because we have felt so alienated and ostracized and finally we found our people, right? And so it feels so good. But deep down, it also feels really bad because you can't ever get freedom from the things that you want freedom from. The reason you had those thoughts was because they created pain in your life. And so then you go, well, I got to do something about it. And so finally, so there's this, this tension inside of us because of our thoughts, right? There's something wrong that I cannot fix. So either I can try to keep fixing it and be exhausted or I can find other people with the same problems and we can just support each other. And by the way, so I think the church has a beautiful opportunity to invite people in and love them in the middle of whatever their mess is. But, 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 there's something about this that goes, we have to change the way we think 
about the things that we're thinking about and come to some new conclusions. And you're going to see Jesus do this today in a really beautiful way. So we saw it last week that Jesus literally comes to a woman in Samaria. So kind of the, the idea was Jesus was, this is, let's pretend this is Mediterranean Sea. Jesus was down here in Judea. This is where Jerusalem is. This is a real religious area. They're really good at pretending like they have their lives together. They perform the right things. They go to church every week. They empty their sin buckets and pretend like their life's together. And, uh, but some people are not liking what Jesus is teaching, particularly the religious leaders. So they're going to uh, try to inflict some pain and thwart God's plan. So Jesus goes, okay, it's time to leave here for now. And he's going to go back to a place called Galilee. Now, Galilee has a couple towns in kind of the province. One would be Capernaum. That's where Peter's from. And then Nazareth. Uh, that's where Jesus is from. So this is his hometown. And Jesus is going to go, it's time for me to go back there. But before he goes back there, he decides to take this direct uh, route through a place called Samaria. Now, this is unfounded for these Jews because they hate the Samaritans. Or the Samaritans. The reason they hate the Samaritans is because the Samaritans have taken the best of their religion, that is, their religious leaders, and their promise that God will forgive them with all the pagan stuff, right? I told you last week that in uh, Samaria, they had this weird way they worshipped, and it was very... Uh, guarded with it, and I'll try to be guarded again, and the way by which they worshiped this God was they would uh, go to the temple, and they would not wear any clothes, and I just, like I said last week, I want to make sure you understand this, and in that worship, there was a lot of friction, that's it, okay, and so in this place, they would go here, and so these Jews hated them, and so what happened, and people are traveling between these two provinces, they would go around, right, they would circumvent Samaria, and this was a three-day trip, this is a six-day trip, and Jesus goes, no, 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 I got to go right through, I got to go right through, and he says, I need to go right through, and what we saw was he ended up coming um, and meeting with this Samaritan woman, and he reveals her thoughts. One of the things he says to her is, you've had five husbands. I've had five husbands. You can pretend that's not the case, but it's the case. So we can go, that's not the case, or you can go find your other people who've had five husbands, and you guys can just sit there and do whatever you want to, bash men, you figure out life, come up with a different plan, whatever it is. And he, so he goes, let me tell you what's going on in your world. I know your thoughts. You've had five husbands, and you're living with the sixth. And then he starts showing her a new way to believe. And he's going, Here, here's what he says. He says, see, what you're looking for is some water just to meet your needs today. And the reality is there's something much greater than that. And he says, it's not just about the water that you need today. And he says something so profound. He says, what I give you is living water. Now, this is really important. And I don't think we can talk about Jesus' creed without understanding what he's saying there. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, yeah, yeah. All this stuff you're trying to figure out in the here and now on your days, how do you pay your mortgage, how do you eat your food, that's okay, or the things you need to buy. But the reality is at some point, all that stuff will not matter. You will not have your house at some point. Every single thing that you bought this week will eventually end up in a landfill, right? Uh, even the food you eat, you can drink and eat it, but tomorrow you will be thirsty and hungry again, he says, because you're just talking about your physical needs. And what's crazy is we have this whole world talking about our physical needs and doing all this stuff, he's going, but there is a spiritual side of you. And you don't have to be a Christian to know that, right? There is a soul that dwells deep within you. There is a soul, right? And that soul will live forever, which I shared with you last week, devastating, devastating to look at. Suicide rates are twice as high as now as they were 10 years ago. That means every person you interact with, based on the data, is twice as likely to take their own life as they were 10 years ago. Want to hear something even worse? For 10 to 14-year-olds, it's now three times as likely. And the second leading cause of a 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14-year-old's death. Why? Because there's something about our soul that feels so broken and complicated. And we think about ourselves and go, the only thing I want is not to have to deal with me anymore. I can't deal with the pain of me. And so 
What's the solution? How do we separate ourselves from that when we take our own life? Now, the reality is what Jesus is going is, that part of you will be with you forever. And if you don't figure out a way to nourish it and give it the nutrients it needs, you're going to live in pain. Hey, yeah, there's some thoughts. You've had some husbands and you thought that would feed your soul, but it hasn't. So let's think about a different thing. And Here's the belief I want you to have. You have looked to feed your soul in places that can't feed it. And let me just offer you that there is a place to feed that thing that you're looking for. And he goes, I am he right? And so Jesus makes this declaration really, really beautiful. She has some new thoughts, therefore, uh, new, I mean, new beliefs and therefore new behaviors. This introvert now goes into the countryside to tell everybody she knows, the ones that she felt judged by, that there is a Messiah who feeds our souls, right? Who gives us healing, who gives us favor. And she starts making these declarations and all these people come to Jesus and they go, we are really mesmerized by your behavior and this fact that you now have this fulfilled life just in an instant. But now that we see it for ourselves, we don't believe because of what you said. We believe because we've experienced it too right? And then I go, hey, Jesus, will you hang out with us for a couple of days? So Jesus, in this pagan, broken culture, sets up shop for a couple of days and just loves these people, and all sorts of miraculous things happen there. And then Jesus goes, okay, time for me to go, and guess where he goes? He goes back to his hometown. He goes to Capernaum, does some neat little magic tricks, tells people about himself, and then he comes to his hometown. Now, what's interesting, before he gets there, in John chapter 4, as John is finishing up the story, one of the things he says is, you know, Jesus is accepted, and he stays for two days in Galilee, and then there is a parenthetical in that passage, and he says, but remember, Jesus is not accepted in his own hometown. Dun, dun, dun. This is like the setup of a, okay, what's going to happen here? So, here we are, Luke chapter 4. Let's see what happens when Jesus enters his hometown. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee... In the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside, right? So Jesus shows, and Luke's like, I want to be clear here. I want you to understand this. He shows up with all of God's power. This isn't just Jesus the carpenter, the the boy from Nazareth. This is Jesus in his glory. So he's going, no, no, he's showing up there, not just as a man, but as God incarnate. This is really important. If you don't know about about the Bible, uh, that's fine. This is a place for you. We'll try to walk you through it as we know best. And so the Bible's kind of set up in a couple different things. Old Testament, which is all helping us come to some conclusions that we can't fix ourselves. Really helping us uh, rethink our own brokenness. Can we save ourselves? Is there enough rules for us to follow to make God happy with us? And finally, the conclusion is no. So therefore, either we live in this desolate land or we go, perhaps there's someone who can save us. That's a new belief, right? So the whole idea of the Old Testament is there's this whisper that there's going to be a God who's going to be a Messiah who's going to come and save us and make things right, bring us healing, bring us favor, right? And then the New Testament starts with the one who does that. So there's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all biographies about Jesus' life. For the most part, they're people that follow Jesus, so they knew him well. We would say they were inspired and directed uh, by God to write this, right? And we would say these are God's words written through human beings, but one of these uh, biographical or accounts, one of the Gospels, is a guy, by a guy named Luke. You know, Luke had a good job. He was a physician, which is interesting because he's going to talk about being a physician in this passage. But Luke was a physician, scientist, you know, like the natural world, who was hired by this really rich dude named Theophilus to leave his job. And basically, he gave him a research grant. And he says, for the next however long, year, two years, whatever, I just want you to go and do all your research, like you've already done and learned how to be a medical doctor and turn into an investigative journalist. And I need you to put together this story of who Jesus is, right? So this rich guy goes, if this is all true, I need to know who this guy is. So they, he literally hires Luke to go do this. Now we would say God's in all that, knew that 2,000 years later, this was gonna be how we got this. And so Luke 
become so intrigued by the story. In fact, so what we understand is Luke would have gone and sat down with eyewitnesses. He would have uh, gone and chatted with each of them, and he would have sat down with Jesus' mom, right? So Jesus' mom would have been, at this point, in her 50s, 40s, 50s, and she, he would have been like, okay, tell me about this, and he would have done that. And so he writes the story of Jesus' life, really, really neat, and so impacted by it he actually decides to keep doing it. And he then starts following around these apostles, these first century um, disciples that Jesus called to get the story out, the reason we have the story now, right? Um, and he starts following them, and he decides to write a sequel to his gospel, Luke, and that's the book of Acts, which stands for the actions of the apostles. So it's really interesting as Luke writes about this in third person, even writes through most of Acts in, um, uh, in third person, but then he actually puts himself in the story in the book of Acts because something transformative happens in his life. So Luke, is, Luke is, is looking for all the truth he can find and he's putting it down on paper and he's going, so here's what's happened. Jesus went to Galilee and news spread through the whole countryside, right? So uh, then verse 15, you see this. He was teaching in their synagogues and guess what? Everyone praised him. So this is, the, and this is in Galilee. Galilee's probably got 20,000, maybe 40,000 people 20,000 probably is a good guess. And so in each of the little neighboring communities, there would have been synagogues, right? Little bitty churches where people would gather on the Sabbath, 50 people, 100 people. they just sit there. And Jesus was kind of doing the circuit teaching. He was going from place to place. He was healing people. He was declaring that his kingdom was available, all these different things. And so he's been doing this in different towns. And um, everybody was really amazed, which makes sense. And here's what you got to understand. Jesus was the best communicator ever. Like, he was the best preacher ever, the best teacher ever. Like, this guy, every place he went and every time he spoke, people were mesmerized, right? Because he, he is God incarnate. Like, he is perfect. And so they're praising him. They're like, this is something we have never seen before. Because it's true. They've never seen this before, right? And so it says they praised him. And then it says, verse 16, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. So every day he gets up, you know, he puts on his clothes, goes to the church, just like, you know, we did, did today. And then he stood up, so I guess he's the guest reader of the day, to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him. So one of the things you've got to know is it wasn't like the whole Old Testament was in like one book, right? So there would have been like all these <laughs> canisters of scrolls, and they're like, uh, any, many, miny, Jesus. And they would have gotten one, and they would have pulled it out. And they were like, I guess we're reading from Isaiah today. So it would have been set up on the lectern or whatever that is. And so Jesus would have, uh, came up. He's the guest reader of the day. And the scroll was from the guy named Isaiah. Now, do you know? Well, Isaiah was this guy in the Old Testament who came to declare that there was hope for the world. But he said it and meant it and was so intentional to go. But the majority of you are going to miss it. He came to declare there's hope for the world, but the majority of you are going to miss it. The majority of you, and either, like there's different passages, particularly Isaiah 53, where it talks about like he was, he was brutalized and mistreated and people, the word that he used was esteemed him not. The God of the universe showed up and people just go, nope, not interested, right? And in that passage in Isaiah 53, that's not the one that Jesus reads today. He talks about that. He says he, talking about the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. So crazy. In the past tense, he's talking about something that's going to happen in the future, right? He was pierced for our transgression. So he's going, this is what's going to happen. The God of the universe is literally going to be uh, uh, pierced. He's going to be like, he's going to be stabbed, right? For our bad behavior, for the fact that we can't fix ourselves. He was bruised for our iniquities. Meaning there's something about Jesus is going to be beat for this. You go, I'm not sure I can believe that. Yep, I get that. And that's what um, Elijah's saying. Or, I'm sorry, Isaiah's saying. Is saying 
you're not going to be able to believe it. You're not going to be able to get this. And then he says this. So pierced, that's all, um, past tense, bruised, past tense. And then he says something so crazy. Like he changes, you know, all sorts of bad grammar. And he goes, and by his stripes, we are healed. So he's literally going, there's this guy, he's going to show up, and he's going to take all the pain on our behalf. You're not even going to be able to believe it. And that pain is actually what the thing that's going to bring you healing. So Isaiah's going, there is healing and favor available to you, but you are missing it, right? So that's the passage of Isaiah, right? You are breaking God's heart, and he is devastated and angry that you cannot get this. Like literally, the God of the universe has given you the gift of absolute healing and absolute favor, and you go, oh, not that interested. So that's the, the, that's the book of Isaiah, right? And so um, as all that's going on, it, so, the spirit, so he's reading and it says, he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So Jesus, <clears throat> yeah, there he is, everybody's listening. The spirit of the Lord is on me. You know, Isaiah was saying that about the God who's going to come and now all of a sudden he's prophesying this moment's going to happen. And in this moment, that moment's happening. And so when Jesus is saying, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, he's talking in first person about himself. He's going, that power, remember Luke already told us about, that is on him in this moment. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? I want you to see this. To the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the who? Prisoners. And recovery for who? Of sight for the blind. To set who free? the oppressed. So he's going, for everybody who has come to some conclusions that they are prisoners, that they don't have any freedom, that they have come to conclusions that they can't fix themselves, guess what he came to do? That they're blind, they can't even see the world the way that they think God wants them to see it, right? He's going, this guy, the Spirit has come on me to set all those captives free, to bring complete healing, to usher in my favor. Watch this. This is what he says. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is always weird for me to talk about. I always feel so uncomfortable because, because I'm just going to be honest with you here. Like, when I say, I think the Lord wants me to say this. I think this is what the Lord's doing in our church. I think this is what the Lord's kind of saying. Like, I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you here. I'm, I'm probably 80% certain. Maybe the dial tips to about 85 or 90. It's not like God has this audible voice that just speaks. I mean, when I read his words, I'm going, I'm 100% certain those are true. Right? And so um, just feel like the Lord is, oh, man, just for months now oh last couple months for sure there's just been this feels like a reckoning going on around us and if you're, if you're familiar, familiar with the jewish new year kind of the old year ended in in october okay and there's some really neat stuff that happens like a, a yom kippur this is like the day of atonement where people kind of acknowledge their sin and acknowledge their need for a savior you know they still make sacrifices in the jewish world still proclaiming that one day the messiah is going to come but there's this understanding that there is this God who's going to come. And so uh, while it ends in October, the new year's kind of ushered in in November. Here we are. And it's usually ushered in with some real pain and discomfort and complications. It's just kind of, uh, there's this reckoning of all this stuff. And I do feel like the Lord has just been saying, no, no, there is this favor that's available for our church and our community. And I just feel like he's saying, this is it, Josh. This is, this is it. Like, this is, this is the year. And so I want to just be real clear. While this was being said to this church in Nazareth, God's word is both timely, meaning those guys need to hear it, and timeless, meaning it is just as, per, as pertinent and just as important in this moment as we read it as it was 2,000 years ago. So this wasn't written just for them. This was written for our church. This was written for your soul. This was written for our community, right? And so he is going, let me read this news and tell you that here I am and let me tell you what's available to you. Freedom and healing and favor. And you would go, 
I'm suspicious of that. You know how I know you would say that? Because I, too, am very suspicious of it. No, God, I don't. I mean, I've asked you before, and I hadn't come through. And No, God, I'm not really sure that you're that good. I'm not really sure. Yeah, you say to give an abundant life, but I kind of feel like that means, like, live like a C-plus life. Like, I don't really think that that's what you have access to. And we're, fair, we're so afraid, right? I'm so afraid to go, okay, what if I do? What if I really lean in and think God's really going to do something good, right? So we do. And then he does it. Then what do we do? We're sad. We're like, what if our God's not big enough, right? All those kind of things. But you know the reality is? What if we really lean into God and go, God, we believe all this stuff, and he doesn't come through. Where does that leave you? The exact place you currently sit. That's it. So logically, it's going, ah, we're so suspicious of God. We're not real sure. We need you to do some more magic tricks. So God, if you would, like, cut all the lights off right now and then cut them back on, we would believe that you might want to give us favor. Like, if you do some kind of little neat, miraculous trick, like, if you can have, like, Josh levitate, then if that happens, we, we would probably maybe believe him, right? And so there's just this belief that God is going, let me tell you what's going on, and we're going, we're really suspicious. And so can we just acknowledge in our hearts and our minds we're suspicious of God's goodness and that he actually does want to bring healing? And I'm talking about absolute healing. He wants you to be completely healed. And I'm not talking about your body. I'm talking about your soul. He wants to feed you living water right now from this day forward. And can we just acknowledge that we're just suspicious of that? If you're a Christian, can you acknowledge, yep, yep, I'm suspicious of that. If you're not Obviously, you'd be suspicious of this weird hippie of a dude with a beard 2,000 years ago who wore sandals that you're going, yeah, he's the guy who's going to bring me healing. Like, can we just acknowledge that? And then if we acknowledge that, we are in the exact same spot that Jesus is teaching these people, which is just beautiful. So all of us are in the same spot, and we get to do something with it. So he continues, and he says this. So good. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. So he goes, here's Isaiah. Daddy and I and Isaiah did a good job with that book, right? Then he just sat down. So I don't know if the rabbi gets up next and kind of pontificates on that. I don't know what what plays out in this world. Um, Really do want to understand first century Jewish culture. That's kind of where the Lord has me for the next year. So that's where all my studies are going to be. I'd love to know all this stuff and read it through that lens. So he sits down and everybody's, they're not looking at the rabbi, right? They're not like, wow, he's got one of those really nice long beards, right? They're not even thinking about that like, at all. And he's like, wow, that's a really nice little hat he's got there. Like, not, none of that stuff's going on, right? They, they're all just staring at Jesus, right? And it says all the eyes are on him. <laughs> so he's like, oh, I guess they're paying attention. Let me continue. And he says, yes. He began to say, by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So they're all looking at him. He's like, oh, I think they still want me to talk. So he comes back up, picks up the mic. <clears throat> Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> right? I mean, this is, this is like, this is crazy news. Everything they've been looking for for thousands of years, in this moment, he's going, today's the day. Now, remember, this message is both timeless, meaning, I mean, timely, meaning he was speaking to an, a, a direct group of people, and timeless, meaning that same statement is just as true today in this building, in your lives, in your families, in your home, in this community, as it was then. He's going, today, today, you didn't know this. You didn't know that's who I was. You didn't know that's what I was offering. You didn't know I was offering freedom from oppression. And you didn't know I was offering sight for the blind. You didn't know I was offering healing and favor. But today, you know that. And today, today, the scripture is fulfilled. All spoke well of him. Wow, that's really neat. Jesus is a good communicator. We're amazed. The gracious words that came from his lips. Wow, that was really good. He was funny. That was nice. Like, I was captivated. Wait, isn't this Joseph's son? 
right? So, like, they're missing it. They're going, oh, that was a good little talk. Man, that was the best church service we had in a while. Like, I wasn't bored. I didn't look at my watch. I, I wasn't ready to eat. This is really, really good. I didn't think it was too long, right? That was really, really good. Man, I understood all of his words. Not like 70% of them, whatever that is, right? And so, in this moment, they're going, oh, that's really good. I thought that would get more laughter, that I understood 70% of his words. <laughs> whatever. Okay. <laughs> and then Jesus going, oh, boy, oh, guys, like, you think this is a cute church service, but you're missing it. You showed up for a cute church service. The God of the universe is trying to speak to you and tell you how much he loves you and what kind of plan he has for you. And you go, that was a good talk. No, no, the God of the universe is trying to speak to you, trying to tell you how much he loves you, to offer you healing and hope and favor. And you go, ah, that was a good talk. And so he peers in. This is what he says. He says this. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. So he goes, now let me tell you what you're actually thinking. You think it's a cute talk, but you don't believe that I actually, this, what I said is true. No, you're captivated by it, but I just said all this is fulfilled, and you're going, I'm not so sure. Like right here in this room. Yeah, that's great, but I don't really think God's going to give me healing in my soul today. Yeah, that's great, but I I don't really think favor is about to land here. Like, I mean, we're just such a suspicious group of people. And he's going to quote a proverb. Now, this isn't a proverb like you think in the Bible, the Proverbs, right? This isn't one of those. This, is, this would have been a Greek proverb. In fact, um, if you're familiar with Aesop fables, like Proverbs, uh, we don't get those written till you know, nearly 17, 1800 years later when Jesus says this. But Aesop existed about 600 years before this happened, right? And he would tell all these cute little stories with their morals. And one of the ones he would talk about was the frog and the fox. And that fable, the kind of this idea that they're really saying, hey, if you want to be a physician, shouldn't you actually have your own life in order first? Shouldn't you actually be healed yourself first? Shouldn't you have good health before you're telling other people to have good health? This is like be t- saying to a drug dealer, hey, if you're selling this, are you smoking it? Right, it's that kind of thing. And so he's saying, hey, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, we'll believe that if you'll do the little dog and pony show. And they'll point to Capernaum. Hey, a few weeks ago, you were up there and all sorts of crazy things was happening. There's a lame person. You're like, Africa Jesus. He started walking. There's a dead person. You're like, Africa Jesus. And he started living, right? There's a blind person. You get the story. And all of a sudden, all these things happen. They're going, yeah, we would believe you, Jesus, if you could just meet this next little need we have. We're suspicious. So just do another little trick, another dog and pony show. At least pull your thumb off, put it back on, whatever it is. Just need you to do something, right? Because, because, if you just do that miracle, then we'd believe you. And we're saying, God, if you would just speak loud, like right now, audible voice, wouldn't do it, God? Okay, can't believe it then, right? And so he's just peering into just a suspicion. And he's going to point out why that's such an issue for us. And here's the issue, and you'll see it at the end. Even if God did that miracle in your life, you wouldn't believe. You would ask for another one, right? Like if we just look at our world and how it's developed, we are experiencing miracles every single moment of every single day. Take a breath. All that oxygen did you create? Oh no, but photosynthesis plants did it. Could you at least just for a second be marveled at the fact that our waste creates carbon dioxide, plants suck it all in and make some oxygen and we go, yeah, yeah, that's science. And the God of science created that. You see, if we pause long enough to look at all the miracles in our life, that nothing is just a mere flip of a coin, we'd be mesmerized. So it isn't that we need more miracles, right? It actually, there's something else going on in our hearts that we have to deal with, and Jesus is about to hit this hard. So watch what he says next. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. He's gone. Look, you are so familiar with me. Church, we're so familiar with him. 
We're so familiar with how things work in the Bible. We're so familiar that it's just hard for us to believe in this weird supernatural God who actually wants to provide healing, right? The way we as Westerners look at God and his supernatural work and his healing and his favor is so different than what you see in Africa and Asia. We are just so familiar with this. We have, we have, we have figured out a way to nail and scale and box up this cute little Jesus. Three songs message, one more song in response. Dump your money in the plate. Go about your day, right? It's just this, we are just so... We're just so comfortable in our own world and Jesus going, see, a prophet's not accepted in that comfort. A prophet's not accepted because the reality is you don't need me to come through for you today. You won't go hungry. You won't be naked. You won't be starved, right? So he says, no prophet's accepted. And then he says this, verse 25, I assure you that there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. Okay, so let's go back to your prophets. Let's talk about the prophets. Elijah, a guy who continued to point you back to me and say there's healing and there's hope and there's favor. That's what Elijah did. And in the middle of all this stuff, you ignored him. And in your society, there were a ton of widows who were dying. Because here's what was happening in there. So, uh, so what was happening in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the, uh, the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but instead sent to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. So he's going... 100, 800 years earlier, uh, you, you're familiar with this, Jews. Uh, you had a, this, your boy, Elijah, right? He showed up, and uh, the society was really, really broken, this kind of thing. We'll worship God some, but we'll really do our own thing. Uh, and one of, the, one of the things that people worship, there's a king named Ahab, and he had a mistress, wife, girlfriend, however, whatever category you want to put Jezebel in, who kind of led him to this belief that there is this God named Baal who provides. Now, you don't have that God. You have karma. You have all sorts of other gods. But this God, what it provided was two things. Rain, because it's an agrarian society, agriculture. Without rain, you don't have crops. And not only was this God over the agriculture, the rain, guess what else he provided? Fertility. That means in order for you to have a baby or for your cow to have a baby, Baal had to be involved. So they would worship this false God. And guess what? Baal didn't do anything for him. For him. You know why? Because Baal isn't real right? And so uh, they would worship this thing, and they're going, no, 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 we don't need you, God. We got our own little system that works. There's water. Like somehow they're giving bail credit, not evaporation, precipitation, and a God who oversees those things. So God sends Elijah and goes, hey, I'm going to need you to tell all them. I'm going to need you to tell them for, that for three, over three years, I'm going to shut down water. You know why? Because you're giving credit for a provision that doesn't come from Baal. So I'm going to remove my provision. I'm going to remove my protection. And you're hopefully going to have some new thoughts about we can't save ourselves. And then you're going to have to come to a conclusion about what you do with your beliefs. Right? And so he sends Elijah to do that. And so he goes, here's the reality. There were a lot of widows in that town who were struggling. Right? You know how this works. You know what Reaganomics is. The trickle-down effect. Right? And so at the top, when the rain stops, there's some people with some, you know, some silos filled with food. But guess who wasn't getting that food? the widows at the bottom, right? If it's all trickled down, nothing was making it to the bottom. So there were hundreds and thousands of women and children dying in the middle of this because they're going, nope, we don't need you, God. We'll do it ourselves. And literally, they couldn't even come to the conclusion that they needed a savior, right? And he says, so there was a lot of widows. But guess what? Elijah couldn't save them. Elijah didn't save them. Instead, he goes to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. This is a Gentile. This is a person in dirty country. And by the way, this is what's so crazy. This is Jezebel. This is Jezebel's hometown. In fact, her dad lived there. And his name was uh, Ethbel. Literally, he goes to the courthouse and changes his name to uh, Bell is Alive. Right? So like, I don't know. He hooked up some of those, you know, those 
jumper cables and got all crazy. And he's like, it's alive, right? And so he changes his name to Baal is alive. And this is where Elijah goes. And he interacts with this woman who is a widow. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have a way to provide for herself. And this woman has a widow with a kid and she has nothing. In fact, in her little cupboard is like some, I don't know, some, some paste, some guava paste. That's what she has left, right? And a little bit of oil. So Elijah shows up at her house, kind of in, interacts with her and finds out about her plight and says, do you want healing? Do you want God's favor? And then he tells her what she needs to do. This is so messed up. He says, would you make me some food? Make the rest of your food? I know it's not very much. Will you make it for me? Now, can you imagine her, her situation? Wait, do you want me to make you food? How would I make you food? Like, I don't have any more food, right? Why would I make you food? You, you would think she'd go, okay, before I do this, can't you prove to me you're a man of God? Couldn't you, like, do some kind of magic trick, pull your thumb off, like, whatever it is, call down rain, whatever it is. Could you do something just to confirm that I can trust you? Could you just do something, right? Because, again, Reaganomics, right? Trust but verify, right? Could you do something? It's not that I don't trust you, but I don't want you to prove it first, right? That's how she could respond. Or she could respond in this way. I have very little. If I give it to him, and he's not who he says he is, I'll die a little bit sooner. But I have very little. And if I give it to him, and he is who he says he is, I will have life in abundance. So, this lady, she understood her condition and said, basically this, what do I have to lose? And so I'd ask you this. Okay, let's talk about your thoughts. You have very little. It's not working out for you. You can keep reading the new self-help books and you can keep trying those things and end up in the same spot or you can go bring it to God and God, I'm just gonna give you everything I have. That's my good, that's my bad because here's the reality. I have come to the conclusion that I have nothing to lose in trusting you, right? So what do you have to lose? So she comes to this arrangement. She comes to this conclusion. Her thoughts, she has a new belief. Really, the new belief is, I've tried everything else and it hasn't worked. Which, by the way, is how most people come to Christianity. I've tried everything else and it hasn't worked. I've tried the spouses. I've tried the kids. I've tried the, the new spouses. I've tried the new thing. I've tried all the different things to fill my thought life, and none of them have worked. So this lady comes to this conclusion. She makes some food, and guess what? Her cupboards and her oil jars are filled immeasurably. It doesn't work. I mean, then it gets worse. Elijah's about to leave, and then her son dies. And she's going, what? I thought you were a man of God. He's going, look, watch this. And he does some weird stuff. He lays on top of him. He prays some prayers. And literally, he brings a dead man back to life. Why? Because he wants this lady to understand that the power that he, that God has isn't just to feed her for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. The power that God has is actually to defeat death. So here's the reality. When people finally get the story of the gospel, which is, we can't save ourselves, right? Paul says it this way. The very things I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And then he goes to this. He comes to this conclusion. What a wretched man I am. He knows his condition. And then, what a wretched man I am. And he has a new belief. Who can save me? Then he goes, but be the praise, but be the Jesus Christ. Right? And so in this moment, this woman goes, okay, I'll get it. And so she knows her condition and she brings what she has, which is very little. And she is blessed immeasurably. You're the favor. You're of healing. And that's not enough. He's going to continue. He's going to tell one more story. And he's going to go, and then there was a man in Israel uh, with leprosy. And there were many men, there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. So he's going, let me tell you about Elisha's successor. So 800 years before Jesus shows up, now Elijah's there. This was Elijah's mentee. And so he's now working the, the area, declaring God's goodness, God's favor, God's healing 
ushering that in, declaring the truth that there one day will be a Messiah, right? And then he's going to say, and there are many people in that area that had leprosy. Lots of people, lots of leprosy. Got it? Lots of people, lots of leprosy. Now, leprosy isn't just what you think it is today. It was basically every skin disease that could end up being terminal. It's kind of classified in this area. And he's going, hey, couldn't we just all agree you had tons of people in your community with all those things? And yet, Elisha didn't heal any of them. You go, why didn't he, right? And he says this, watch this. Um, Yet none of them were cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. Oh my goodness, they would, I, I promise you, they, I can't put words on how offended they would have been in the synagogue that day when Jesus says that because they would have hated Naaman. They would have hated that he got healing because Naaman was a Syrian and the Syrians, because God removed his protection and provision from the Israelites, the Syrians were big bullies. Every single day they would beat up the Israelites and take their lunch money, right? I mean, and much worse. Take their wives, their kids. I mean, they were horrific human beings right? And so they would, they would come in and pillage Israel and take their stuff day after day. And because God removed his protection and provision, Israel said, we don't need you. And God goes, okay, let me give you some new thoughts and understanding and maybe help get some new beliefs in your world, right? And so Naaman was the general of these armies. But guess what? Naaman had a plight he couldn't fix. And he had a king who supported him and gave him all the resources he needed. And none of it was enough for him to be fixed. And so Naaman's servant tells him about this guy named Elisha who's connected to the God of the universe who could potentially fix him, who could potentially give him healing, give him healing, and give him favor, right? And so Naaman says, what do I have to lose? So he goes to this Israel, Israeli prophet and asks for healing. No, Elijah doesn't even talk to him. He sends a servant down, and he says something to Naaman that's just ridiculous. He goes, yep. Here's the solution. Here's what I want you to do. You can have healing. You can have favor. But the way that you're going to do it is you're going to have to go dip yourself in one of our little rivers seven times. And Naaman is so offended. He's going, first of all, the guy doesn't speak to me. Does he know who I am? Right? And second of all, he's telling me to go dip in your dirty Israeli water. There is clean water in Syria. I can just go back there and get my own bath. Right? So highly offended. Highly offended. How dare you? And then the servant says to him, hey, Naaman, what do you have to lose? Can you admit that everything else you've tried, all the different medicine and all the different doctors, everything else you tried, it couldn't fix you. So, okay, you can look a little foolish. You can lose some friends over the deal, but maybe be healed. Or you can stay in the same plight you've always been in. So, Naaman goes, I know my condition. I know I can't fix myself. Perhaps the God of the universe can. So guess what he goes? He goes and gets in that water. I don't know if he keeps his clothes on. I don't know if he has to get naked. I have no idea what happens there. But he gets in. He dips in this dirty water. Could you see his face? Like, oh, like just, I cannot believe I'm doing this. One time didn't help. Two times didn't help. And he just continues to put himself in this dirty water. And can you say, can you imagine going, this is so foolish. What am I thinking? What am I thinking? And the servant going, what do you have to lose? It's not changing anything. Things are getting better for you. Three times, four times, five times, six times. And then that seventh time, by the way, really cute little nugget. Hope this helps you understand and believe the scriptures. The number seven in the scriptures are the number of completion. And it makes sense because if you think about all the different things, completion, how many days in the week there are, are there? Seven. Uh, how many colors are there? About this. I'll let you count. Roy G. Biff. Look at your rainbow, right? How many musical notes are there? And I'm not talking about sharps and flats and all that kind of stuff. Go ahead. Good boys do fine always. All cows eat grass, whatever those things are. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, seven. How about one of you really special musicians? Why don't one of you create an H? 
Well, how in the world has it just always been that way? You mean that's where all the colors come from? That's where all the musical notes? We have been in a world for a thousand years of music and nobody's ever been able to innovate a new note, right? There's just something about this number. And so in the seventh time, uh, Naaman comes up and he is completely cleansed. Why? Because he knew his condition. So when we survey what's going on with the gospel and really in here, I just want to be very blunt with you. The real reality of why you can't accept this is either because you're so scared to death that God's going to fail you like the widow. And I'd go, what do you have to lose? How's it working out for you now? Or you are so prideful to go, how dare, how dare I have to do these things that make me feel like less than I am? And I would just offer on either situation the real reality of why the gospel is so hard to penetrate our hearts, particularly in America. It's because you don't really know your condition. Hear me, guys. I don't know my condition. I don't know my condition. Every time I try to fix things on my own, every time I try to get ahead of something, every time I try to resolve all the things, the reality of what I am saying and you're saying is we don't know our condition. Hear me. You don't know your condition. This is what's so beautiful. Every single person, I don't know, five, uh, 400 people in this room, right? And all of us have the same condition. And here's what that condition is. You cannot fix yourself. I'll just tell you, you can't. You can keep trying. We can keep trying. But at some point, we got to go, we cannot fix ourselves. What a wretched person I am. Who can save this body of mine, right? At some point, we got to go. So we don't go, no, I'll just accept myself as I am. No, you can't fix yourself. And the way that you are isn't good for you or your family. You can't fix yourself. So you go, let me find a group of people that will love me the way I am. That's really good. So all of you can live in that misery. Or you know, this isn't who I am, but it's not who I want to be. And who I want to be, I can't make myself be. Then perhaps you can change your beliefs. And in those beliefs, you can go, what do I have to lose? What if I actually did trust Jesus? What if I actually did say, God, would you come in and intervene in every part of my life? Watch what happens. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. How dare him tell me we have a condition? How dare he compare me to that widow? I'm special. I have my own cupboards filled with food. How dare he compare me to that broken, broken Syrian general? We're better people. We're more moral people. We've never sinned in that way. How dare him, right? They got up. (laughs) We're so godly. So they got up and drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. We're not like those people. We don't hurt people. Let's just kill him. Right? Like just this broken unawareness. We're not like that Syrian general. We never take anybody's lunch money. But boy, would he push this prophet, this man of God off a cliff. Now watch this, verse 30. But he walked right through the crowd and ran on his way. Remember, they were looking for a miracle. He gave them one. And they completely missed it. They're going, what, what happened to him? We're about to push him. And all of a sudden, he just, how did he get down the hill? Right? Like, even that. But it wasn't enough because there was something so deeply rude in their heart that they could not acknowledge in their pride and arrogance that they had a condition. And so I just plead with you. And will you plead with me? We just come to the conclusion that we have a condition and there's no way we're going to heal ourselves to that condition and God wants to heal you and God wants to bring you his favor. And so the band's going to come up and we're going to sing this song about not being gripped by God's, by our sin, by God's grace. And as they come up, I just want to tell you real quickly about this story. I read it a long time ago. It's about how um, people in Africa and other places, it might not even be true, catch monkeys. But here's the, the idea of the story. They take a gourd, right? A gourd. They put some orange pills in it. I don't know. They, I think they should have put banana pills, but they know better than me. And they put it in this gourd. So they hollow out a little hole and there's 
there's this gourd. And all they do is they take these gourds with the orange peels and they hang them in the trees. This is how you catch a monkey, right? And then a uh, little bitty hole, right? Enough for the, the monkey to get their hand in it. But guess what happens? Once they, once they grab the orange peels, see what happens there? Their hand's too big and they can't pull it out. So these monkeys just stay and fight all night long going, I'm not letting go of this. This is my orange peels. This is going to be my satisfaction. This is going to be my salvation. And then these monkey catchers come up the next day. They don't have to do anything. So walk in. I mean, here they are. They're coming right into them, coming right to get them. And literally, the very thing that's leading to their captivity, they will not let go of. And these guys can just walk up with their club, hit them over the head, grab them, shackle them, put them in the cage, whatever. And the very reason that they can do it is because these folks will not let go of whatever it is. Right? Naaman will not let go of this arrogance. And finally goes, this very thing that I'm clinging to is not saving me. In fact, this very thing I'm clinging, clinging to is leading to my captivity and pain. So the very best thing I can do is go, what do I have to lose? A couple orange pills? Right? And so we're just going to sing a song. Maybe you want to stand up and sing. Or maybe you just want to sit still and go, God, I am gripping the wrong things in my life. And I don't want to grip my sin. I don't want to grip these things. I, want to hold them. I actually don't want to grip anything. What I want is I want to come to you and allow you to grip me with your loving grace and mercy. And so the band's going to lead us in this. And I just want you to get these words that God wants you to know you have a condition, not because he doesn't love you, but because he loved you so much that he came to fix that for you and bring you healing and bring you hope and bring you favor. And the only thing that's standing in the way of that, the only thing that's standing in the way of that is you, me. So I want you just to pause and consider this. Consider what you have to lose here. And so would you lead us as we sing? Thanks, guys.